0: Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Wade Cooper, who I'm gonna call Mr. Tuesday Night because this guy has a lot of successful Tuesday nights. He's a political consultant and he's run several successful local campaigns. And uh, you may or may not have heard of some of these people, but we're talking about Kate Ford, Kristen Sneddon, most recently, Virginia Alvarez, Vicky Yakov, And uh, many more. Wade, how are you today?
1: I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Josh?
0: I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for taking time to talk to me. I feel like it's a privilege because I know you are a true consultant, which means you put your client first and you stay behind the scenes. So I feel lucky to be able to talk to you and pick your brain here a little bit. Let's dive right in. We're coming off the local elections and we've had a, a change on the Santa Barbara School Board. Can you offer your political insight? You obviously ran a candidate You did so with Kate Ford the last time around. What happened in the Santa Barbara Unified School District race that allowed Virginia
1: Alvarez to win a seat and knock off an incumbent? So I'll tell you, there's a few contributing factors that I saw. First and foremost is I I would call it a weak incumbency, really, because traditionally when you talk about incumbency, this is a person who's run for office before, whose name has appeared on the ballot before and who's really been sort of out there um, in a wider sense. However, with the people who ran as incumbents this cycle, Laura, Caps, uh, Wendy Sims Moten, and, and Jackie Reed, they had never appeared on a ballot before. Uh, obviously not true of Laura. Laura had appeared on about 40,000 ballots in the area. Um, but um, for the other two, it was what I'd call a, a weak incumbency. And so... Um, it seemed like there was an opportunity to get some some fresh blood on to the to the school board, and, and we did that. I um, I saw uh, a completely unique situation here. So as as you know, we've we've talked before, and I've told you anyone who tells you that they know what's going to happen in this election is lying to you. So <laughs> I was I was honestly making best guesses. And one of the things that I thought was that hey, there's a ton of Democrats in this district, and in this cycle. Democrats are going to vote early. So we went out, did some great fundraising, and I made sure that all that money pretty much got spent in the first two weeks of ballots coming out. We got a little thrown off because ballots actually came out early, which came as a surprise to me. It was something I didn't know. They have to be mailed out by the 29th day, not on the 29th day. Right. So um, theoretically, they could send them out in July, as best I understand it. So you know, keep an eye out for next year.
0: What was, what was Virginia Alvarez able to do to win a seat? I think she came in, well, she came in third. Laura Capps was one, Wendy Sims-Moen. And then she came in third comfortably, well ahead. Yeah, five points ahead, approximately. So what do you think she was able to do to resonate with voters? Obviously, she's a Democrat, but she wasn't endorsed by the Democratic Party. So that is a hill you have to climb to some degree. How did, how did this happen?
1: Yeah, in any other year, probably it would have been an even more difficult climb. Um, one of the issues in 2018 that um, Kate Ford had in running was we had some limited support in in Isla Vista. And um, Rose Munoz, who ended up winning that that other seat, really, really focused her attention in IVN. That ended up being a good strategy. And in this case, we we got a ton of awesome endorsements, one of which was the Sunrise um, Movement endorsement um that gave us some field support in, in isla vista and well, so tell me about that what is
0: the sunrise movement
1: they're an environmental organization oh, okay. um, that's a relatively new cropped up in the last few years to be honest with you uh i do all local stuff so if you're not if this is the first time getting a seeking people to give a local endorsement it's probably the first time i'm familiar with you mm-hmm. so this is the first time i'd seen them but uh, big shout to those kids out in in uh, IV and UCSB. They they really busted their tails for us. And how interesting is that that you do have
0: every election cycle IV people determining who's going to serve on this a school board, right? It's it's yeah. part of the local political scheme. I it's
1: guess. it's part of the local political scheme, and and you know we we forget obviously that there's you know actual people living in in IV who aren't students or. Um, recent students. So there are families with kids out there who are, have kids in schools and, and stuff. So we don't we don't want to exclude them. But yeah, those uh, those low information voters out there in Isla in Vista, um, they, they do make up a probably disproportionate amount of influence, given the fact that they don't have kids and generally don't particularly care about um, you know who's best suited to, to serve on the school board, but you know this was this was a different um, different case. This group that came out and and really did their homework. They endorsed both Vicky Benyakov and uh, Virginia Alvarez. So,
0: and both of them, if we look at them together, are quite the story because neither was endorsed by the Democratic Party, but yet they you could make the argument are exactly the type of person who should be sitting on a school board because. They're engaged in the community. They're, they're uh, local. They're on the ground. They have a network. They're not looking to buy a seat or get endorsed by a group in order to win a seat. And so it's interesting that you were able to go against the grain to some degree. I've talked a lot about the power of the Democratic Party in terms of not that, oh, if you have the party, it's automatic. But it comes with organization. It comes with footwork. It comes with phone calls. And so for any time somebody wins who's a Democrat against that system, it is impressive. And you know, I live in Goleta, Vicky ben she's popular. I mean, there's kids, families, where I live, they write her names on the sidewalk, you know, uh, trying to, you know, anywhere you go at all the entrances, the exits, it's like she was there. So she had a grassroots sort of of movement. What do you like about this business, this profession? Why why does
1: it appeal to you? (laughs) um i I just want to just very briefly i want to talk about um those two women and and why i think they got elected i so kind of two sides of the the same coin they they both have a lot of experience but very different experience Uh, virginia obviously has i mean she has aside from kate the most experience i've ever seen for anybody in school board so 30 years of professional experience but also she went to school here was a parent here So she has that really hands-on experience. And then Vicky has a ton of experience as a parent, volunteering in the schools, being part of the STEM program in the schools, and and really being hands-on in the volunteer setting. And that stuff resonates with people, you know. And, Mm -hmm. And our messaging for both campaigns was experience, experience, experience. So making sure that people understood that if they were voting on qualifications, that these are the most qualified candidates. So you asked me before this, uh, why do I like doing this? Um, I I really really enjoy this work. It's like sports for smart people. There's <laughs> there's a winner and a loser, and um, it is very much the same feeling. You know, when you winning feels like winning, and when it's a quantifiable thing, there's. There's something about that that it can't quite be, be matched. There is a rush on election day that is unlike anything else. I, I think, you know honestly, I think a lot of political consultants are a certain type of person. I think we have a certain type of sort of addictive personality. And I think everyone who's loves doing this and has done this for a long time and is a lifer, uh, they're addicted to that rush on election night. When those results roll in and you realize that all the work that you did pays off, there's there's nothing quite like it. It's it's um, it's awesome. I, I love election nights, but you know what? I also I've been super super lucky, especially since I've come back to Santa Barbara, and that I've worked for a ton of women who I've um, and a couple men, but generally women. Uh, who I've really, really liked, I have an incredible amount of respect for. Um, and I, I, I'm so proud to have worked for all of these, all of these incredible people. And it makes it way more fun. You know, you, you go home and if, if some, sometimes I have to knock doors myself, sometimes I'm writing a mailer or writing an email or writing a fundraising blast or whatever. And sometimes it's a 14 hour day, sometimes it's a 16 hour day but those days are way easier and way better if you know you have a total confidence in in the people that you're working for and and um you know really a love for those people so yeah you know i mentioned four women i
0: left off alejandra gutierrez yes. the fifth woman who you worked with there's been other women where you've had roles on their campaigns um, are you a feminist at heart? Is there a difference? Totally. Is there a difference in a, running a female candidate versus a male candidate? Yes. In their
1: experience? What, what is it? How can uh, you describe it? Well, uh, women listen better, for one thing, and are more open to um, the ideas of others generally. I, I don't just work with women because I like to work with them. I also work with them because I honestly, genuinely feel... Like they make better legislators. I mean, if we look in the last, probably since LBJ, it's it's tough to argue that the most effective legislator in the country is not Nancy Pelosi, regardless of whether or not you agree with her politics. Yeah. you know that that um, Obamacare bill should really be called Pelosi Care since it was yeah. created in the House and um, you know kind of crammed through the Senate with uh, that that last minnesota vote so i i appreciate um female leadership for its openness and willingness to compromise but on a campaign level um you know it's it just is a little bit um yeah it just seems like a little bit easier personalities a lot of times to work with but that's a broad generalization of course yeah i mean i'll I'll make it even
0: broader and 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 worsen it um in my experience you know um At times when I've been a supervisor in jobs, uh, you know, as a teacher, uh, when I'm managing uh, students, you know, the student newspaper, women really value the opportunity in my experience. Like when you when there's an opportunity, they cherish it and they don't take anything for granted. That's true. And they run with it. And uh, that's been my experience is that they're like, wow, somebody believes that I can do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to give everything I can. And I think we see that in some of the politics. And definitely Santa Barbara, we've had women as mayors for, you know, forever. 40 years except one. So, you know, we definitely have some, you know, strong female candidates in this town. Well,
1: and in Santa Barbara, um, yeah, I'm I'm sure someone's going to have some notes on us having this discussion. But anyway, (laughs) um, in Santa Barbara particularly, I actually think that, it's an advantage to be a woman running for office here. Um, As I mentioned a second ago, we've had, aside from a a year of, Hal, it was a year, year and a half. Hal Conklin, yeah, it was about a year and a half, yeah. Um, You know, we've had 40 years of uninterrupted leadership in in Santa Barbara. And so we as a community are very accustomed to that. And we're not only open to it, but... I think a lot of our voters are are excited about it. I think a lot of voters in Santa Barbara would, frankly, prefer to have women in office than than men in office. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you, if we can just dabble in that area a
0: little bit. Uh, People may or may not be familiar with the campaigns you've worked on, know your name. But, I mean, you're a local kid, right? Tell us your story. Where did you grow up and how did you... Decide that you were going to become a political consultant. You have a law degree, also, so yeah. Help yeah. me understand this. What's yeah, your story? don't don't hold my, my lawyer dumb <laughs> against me,
1: please. Uh, so I grew up. Uh, well, I was born in Alaska. Yeah. Um, and my parents got divorced when I was like four or five, and I moved back down here with my mom. And I grew up. I mean, it, it is the Mesa. But it's not really the Mesa. I grew up off Yankee Farm, for people who, who know where that is, right above, on the cliff, basically above Henry's Beach. Mm-hmm. I grew up uh, on an orchid farm. I come from an agricultural family, as pretty much anyone who's been in California for like three or four generations, they're, they're involved in agriculture somehow, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I went to Monroe and, and uh, grew up. And, you know, by the time I was nine or ten... My mom had a lot of trouble with me as a kid. I was a difficult kid. I had a lot of energy, and um, I was. Uh,
0: You're putting snakes in the teacher's drawer, and she opens, ye- and they pop out. Oh like yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: a lot of uh, a lot of that, a lot of uh, shenanigans. I'm definitely a person who, above all else, wants to make people laugh, which is. Um, not always served me in life, but it's part of my DNA. And I, I think somewhere along the lines, I probably missed being a stand up comedian or a writer for a comedy show, but here I am. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I struggled a lot as a kid, and I got sent off to prep school on the East Coast, and eventually made my way um, back to uh, school here in the valley at Dunn. And um, I think what really got me into politics was my, my grandfather. He was um, advised the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon and went on to work at the Rand Corporation. And in fact, he was one of the few people at the Pentagon who advised uh, President Kennedy against the Bay of Pigs invasion. He oh. said this would be a disaster. And Thank you. Sure enough, it was. <laughs> he also, and you can go online, you can Google it. Find his Rand Corporation paper about the political ramifications of the Vietnam War, which he said were going to be troubling at best because – well, anyway, because of a variety of reasons. But he was a really, really bright guy, and I would argue with him a lot as a kid about politics, Um, things that I didn't really know anything about, you know, tax policy. And I've had arguments with my my grandfather about abortion, which, you know – I didn't even really conceptually understand when I was 10, mm-hmm. but I had very strong opinions about it. And then as I got older, I'm not going to lie, I was, I was really inspired by the show The West Wing. It made me um, see this work as a very noble cause and, and gave me a, a sense of duty. And when I was 17 years old, when I was a senior in high school, I got kicked out of Ralph Lowe's English class, Ralph Lowe um, actually used to write a column for a while in the Independent. He's he's uh, now passed. But he lugged me out of class and he said, God, you know, why, why, are, you such, why are you such an asshole? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He says, y- you don't want to be here. And I said, no, no, no. I do not want to be here. The last thing in the world I want to do is listen to you blather about Joseph Campbell, man. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to manage political campaigns they said what do you mean i said i want to manage political campaigns he said like like james carville i said exactly mm-hmm. i want to be james Carville." Oh, and he right. said well why don't you just go do it mm-hmm. i said what are you talking about because you you don't need to be sitting in this english class to go manage political campaigns if yeah. you want to do that so much walk out to route 24, to the 154 put your thumb in the air look the people in the eye and hitchhike to the next political campaign you can find. Yeah. I don't really go for all the separate piece, you know, kind of BS the whole act that didn't do much for me. But it just shows you how long I've wanted to, to do this. I, I actually managed to get myself kicked out of high school, I ended up being a high school dropout. But Almost immediately. In, you, you saved in, your, your mom a lot of money if you got kicked out of Yeah, I did not save my mom a lot of money, which <laughs> was why I <laughs> also got kicked out of my house. Okay. Uh, but uh, I, I did, in fact, immediately in, in 2004 for two months, I knocked on doors and collected signatures for the DNC for John Kerry and uh, John Edwards, who were running for president. Oh, wow. Yeah. And from then on, it was, I just kind of rolled on. Um, took a couple years where I, you know, volunteer on little stuff. I, I moved to go to school in Austin and I did political work in Austin. I worked for a guy named Lee Leffingwell, big bike advocate there. I um, helped organize. Um, I'm, big, I'm a Vespa rider. I'm a big Vespa guy. I had a Vespa shop for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um, helped organize basically parking for motorcycles in, in Austin, which they we got past. And there's motorcycle parking all over mm-hmm. Austin now, and and then worked for a congressman named Lloyd Doggett, who's in the Texas 24th, and then ended up working for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign for a while, and then um, you know after. Do you have a picture with Kamala Harris like?
0: Every other person on Facebook this week? I met her. I, I don't I don't.
1: But I could have, okay. but I, I I'm not a picture guy. No. I'm not a hero wall guy. Yeah. My uh, my hero wall uh, consists of a picture of my mom and dad with Dan Quayle and his wife. Just because <laughs> people come in and they go, uh, is that is that Dan Quayle? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, man, VP. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I could, I could. Maybe, maybe that'll be my next goal: is getting a, a picture with with Kamala, which I noticed Jerry stuck in his article. He, and, he and Kamala Harris. Oh, if you have a picture, you put it up. Yeah, and I'm special. And his stupid Giants hat. <laughs> we'll save the next podcast
0: <laughs> all about Jerry and his terrible choices in sports. All right, I want to ask you a question. We we're talking about your background. Yeah. Um, I didn't prep this. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this the first time, but uh you know your upbringing you see you have a lot of energy i know you rode your bike here talk to me about like your your lifestyle your health and your fitness because one of the things that strikes me every time i see you is that you're in really good physical shape (laughs) and um i'm just like wondering is that like anyone who's in that kind of shape it's like a priority so i'm just can you talk to me a little bit about that aspect of you yeah yeah
1: um i work out every day uh and it's, it's become, I guess, a part of my life. I When I was, when I was 18, 17, 18, um, I was in my first long-term relationship. And I was living with my girlfriend in Austin. And I was drinking like a case of Lone Star a night. Um, and you find like the more you drink, the more you weigh. And then the more you <laughs> weigh, the more you have to drink. So when you're like 6'3 or 6'4 and you weigh about like 225 or 230, you find you got to plow through a case of Lone Star. To feel anything, to, yeah. To get there. <laughs> so I came, I came home uh, one time to my mom's house and uh, she, she gave me a hard time about my, uh, my moobs, as she called them and oh, so uh, you were a little a flabby and, and that was it uh-huh. I was I never I, I lost the weight you know I, I was 22 or whatever yeah but I lost like 40 pounds in probably two months and yeah I've been I, I try to ride my bike everywhere I try to walk 10,000 steps a day um you know I've, I've like convinced myself that canvassing is not bad because mm-hmm. it's exercise mm-hmm. um but, uh, yeah, it's a big priority for me. I don't eat sugar, really. Um, okay. Was I was going to th- ask about your diet. You seem like a
0: guy who manages his what he puts in his mouth as much as your exercise. And clearly, you
1: don't have a lot of sugar. Unless you're just born gifted. And no, 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 no. You burn everything off. Which no, 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 no. I, I, I don't, I will, I'm, very, I'm very dedicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't eat sugar often. Like, I don't go to a restaurant. We, we never get dessert. My poor wife uh, loves dessert. Oh. I, I never... I'm like, nope, you're going to have to eat that whole thing. She's like, oh. Um, but, um, yeah, no, and, and I would say probably like two or three days a week. I go out to eat a lot. I love I love food. I love to cook. I'm sure there's one or two people who are going to listen to this who follow my wife on, on Instagram. Well, now three. And have seen all the... <laughs> Have seen all the stuff I cook. I am a very, very serious cook. I uh, in, all throughout college I worked in restaurants. I, I worked in in the front of the house most of the time, but I worked in the back of the house a bit at a restaurant in Austin. Um, I love cooking, and um, it's been a huge, huge passion of mine. Wine and and food are like two of my absolute loves. Yeah. So I, but yeah, I do. I do try and eat. Healthy most of the time. You gotta, you know, you gotta go nuts every now and again. I mean, right. I, I, I go to I go to lure and pound down a bunch of fried shrimp from time to time. Cause, okay. you
0: know, it's okay. I go to Panda Express and do the same thing. Oh, I do. I do the <laughs> Panda. Ex- I,
1: I used to go more than I do now, yeah. but it, yeah, I, I, I like Panda Express. But they have healthy. They got healthy lunch options at, at Panda Express too. So. Yeah. So <laughs> so
0: you know, it's just interesting to know your background because. You seem like a card-carrying, like, feminist, liberal, Democrat. Uh, you're a California guy. Yet, you know, politically, like, I wouldn't say that you are a D- San Barbara County Democratic Party sort of core consultant. You know, that you have run... You wouldn't can- say that?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have run candidates who... You know, most of them, I think, have not been endorsed by the party. Kate Ford was not endorsed by the Uh,
1: party. Alejandra's the only one. What, Alejandra? Alejandra's the only one. Yeah. So
0: so, uh, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on your role in the political landscape and the role that the Santa Barbara County Democratic Party plays in getting candidates elected.
1: Sure. Um, So this is is sort of my broad thoughts on it. Uh, I, I run who I run because I think they're the best candidates. Mm-hmm. And that means different things in different places for different offices, different districts. Um, you know, I you know, I, I wouldn't say the same things are necessarily true in each one of these people. Mm-hmm. It's specific to them. And some of the people, I think that they'll grow into it too. Um, but, you know, what, what I would prefer to see... Is for us to ratchet back the politics a bit. And honestly, bad processes lead to bad outcomes. And the way that the DCC chooses their candidates as it exists now is a bad process. I'll give you a perfect example. Kate Ford is probably the most qualified candidate to, surely, to run for a low level school board, like in the history of America. <laughs> All right? Yeah. And, you know, they endorsed so early. Before I they endorsed in that race in like for a November race in, you know, the first week of June or maybe even earlier than that, it was crazy. And there was, you know, there was no way unless you were a total political person, there was no way that you would know that that was happening, that you needed to gear up for a November school board race an unpaid position in Santa Barbara where all anyone does is come and scream at you, you would have needed to gear up for that in like March. <laughs> We've added a level of politics to our local positions that has become counterproductive. And, you know, if you choose politics over policy, you're going to have bad results. And just take a look at our schools. Our schools are underperforming the state averages. This is just like factually true. There's numbers that back this up. And it doesn't need to be that way. And if we remove the politics from it, and we remove the fact that you need to be loyal to a party, or you need to knock on doors for someone, or you need to pledge fealty to this group of people, who no offense to them, they're all nice people. They're not educational experts. They you know they make the decisions frankly fairly arbitrarily mostly on politics. And if we can get away from that and move towards a a way of choosing people for elected office who are good at doing the job rather than good at getting the job because how you get that job and how you do that job are two totally different things. Mm. This is for, actually this is true of jobs writ large. Mm. You know, you you go into an interview that takes a certain set of skills. You know, you need to be you need to have a certain level of pizzazz and bullshit when you're selling yourself in a job interview that most of the time you don't need to do that job. And the same thing is true of being a politician. I mean, legislating is a fairly boring thing, which is why I, I've never spent a day in my life working in government. Mm-hmm. Because it's minutiae, and you're really digging into details and facts and numbers. And when you're running for office it's broad concepts and a lot of it is performance art Mm -hmm. and so if if we get to a position on our local offices i have no hope for national politics which (laughs) is why i don't do that anymore right right. but at the local level number one you can walk out you can still walk out of district for like city council whatever Mm -hmm. and then number two a lot of the people who vote in these local races they do see something or know something or pay something attention. And I, I think that, that city, uh, the uh, school board race is kind of indicative of that. If you, if you notice, there was a, a tremendous drop-off from the 84,000 people in the SBUSD who cast ballots to the approximately, this is a guess because we don't know for sure, but approximately like fifty five to 60,000 people who voted for school board. Yeah. That's a pretty hefty drop-off as mm. you go down the ballot. Mm. So there was something about that school board race that made people go, "Okay, I'm going to vote for these people." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 from from my impression, it seems like the indie, for instance, and certainly Democratic women, um, really take the time to do their homework and and take the process seriously and try and find the either the most qualified candidate or the qualified or the candidate with the the best heart or the best character, and mm-hmm. and um, you know they make good endorsements. What I think that more and more people here locally are realizing is that the notion that we need to support certain Democrats for political reasons because if we don't support that Democrat, then a Republican will win, yeah. is completely false. Mm-hmm. And we what we've also seen is that. Field clearing, where we make sure that, you know, candidates, we, we should have the fewest number of races because otherwise we're going to split the vote and get a Republican elected, which is an argument that I've heard people from DCC make.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to push back with you on is if if we don't clear the field early, you know, what they would say is if we just wait for all the Democrats who want to run to come together and yeah. wait until the last minute to endorse, well, by that time it's too late because the Republican is going to come out and right. be the one. And right. So...
1: And uh, and my response to that is the one time that that actually happened, it resulted in the DCC's candidate Kathy Murillo, being elected mayor. Yeah. So it's nice that they're making this argument. It's incredibly hypocritical, and they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. If that's what they're saying, because yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Look, the Brian Campbell boogeyman is not getting elected. You know, it's, is it possible for someone who is a registered Republican to get elected in Santa Barbara? Sure. I guess theoretically that's well, possible. We, we had a... Highly unlikely. We had a... I guess you could say
0: uh, a couple of years where there was an, an- anomaly where you had Dale Francisco yep. on the city council, Michael Self, mm-hmm. Frank Hotchkiss. There's a lot of money behind them though. Yeah. That, um, I don't... It was Randall Van Wolf Winkle, one of these big um, financiers from out of the area. Mm-hmm. But... We had that period on the council where we had like three conservatives who were on there, and with the exception. Well, you know, Dale served a couple terms and ran for mayor and didn't win. Frank Hotchkiss served two terms, ran for mayor and didn't win. It doesn't last. And very then long. didn't he
1: move to Florida and skip his own election night party? Savannah, yeah, Savannah, <laughs> Georgia. Oh, Georgia, sorry. Yes. So, so I mean, I think that.
0: It sounds really good if you're not in the political game to say the best candidates should be able to run without the party getting involved. But the truth is also, I mean, you have to acknowledge that there's something to be said about getting behind a candidate early, getting your resources behind them, and uh, making sure that you do everything you can to get them going. I think the problem is that you've identified is that there has to be a better connection between candidates who have not been dyed in the wool volunteers for other democrats who've not knocked on doors for for Lois caps for Salude carbajal for Doss williams the democratic party needs to know that there are other people out there who have not been part of that infrastructure who still have a lot of value and a lot of the grooming they do is where have you been for us yes and I think that's a, another issue in that. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I would, I would,
1: yeah, but I'll, I'll push back on you, okay? Because, you know, I don't, I'm not sure you need to get started as early. The, so the the contentiousness of the races and the competitiveness of the races is like a self perpetuating cycle, right? Yeah. So that's okay. We'll put that off the side, but you can still come in, and if you have. Uh, you know, if you have the charisma and you have the energy and you have... Obviously, you need the time. But if you have the willingness to do so, you can get elected to city council by knocking on doors and having a good message that connects with voters. So I I don't think it's... And frankly, aside from printing out some lit, there's not a ton you need to do. So, you know, I, I... I just... Fundamentally disagree with that because I, I think that qualified people look, these are the offices that affect our lives the most. They don't get talked about the most, people don't pay very much attention. They should, I would argue, and I appreciate what Congress does, it's very important. Yada, 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 yada. Okay, when you vote for your congressman, you're fundamentally voting do you want Nancy Pelosi to be the Speaker of the House? Or do you want whatever Kevin McCarthy to be the Speaker of the House? That's really functionally what you're voting Whereas on. Whereas on these local races, especially where there's like one one seat can make a difference. Like for instance, the Board of Supervisors,
0: that's uh, five people. Yeah,
1: Changing one of those people can make a fundamental difference in the way the counties run. And so, you know removing some of the the outside national politics and and a lot of the stuff that we put onto these races, which actually isn't really there because the Board of Supervisors isn't going to do anything about gun control. They're not going to do anything about uh, reproductive rights. They're not going to do anything about equal pay for equal work. Well, that's not true. They could definitely do something about equal pay for equal work. But we can think of a plethora of things that they're not really going to do anything about. But the things that they can do something about, they tend to actually be Nonpartisan, and so i really what i work to do um more than anything is to focus our attention on to issues and to experience of the candidates to be able to do something about those issues and that's that's just where i want us to be as a community because i think that that's what's going to move us closer to solving some of these problems and you know look I, i talked to my dad the other day and he said something great to me he said There's no such thing as an easy popular solution. And it sounds like a truism, and yet it feels like no one is aware of that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because, you know, here in Santa Barbara, if if you hear someone saying, well, this homelessness problem, it's easy to solve. Immediately stop listening to what they're saying. If there was an easy solution to the homelessness problem here in Santa Barbara, it would be solved. We would have done it already. But it's not. It's hard. And some of the things that we would have to do in order to fix that problem are wildly unpopular. And so we need to be aware of the responsibility that we have as a community, as citizens, because frankly we don't spend enough time as people paying attention to these things like and cuz now i want to i want to ask you a couple of questions but if we can move ourselves towards taking responsibility for paying attention to this stuff we will get closer to solutions and yeah. it's it's really doesn't have anything to do with politics i mean local politics is like a it's a cottage industry yeah. you know it's good business for them it's good business for me whatever But that doesn't really have anything to do with fixing the problems at the end of the day. That's identifying the candidates more
0: So, So now I have a question. Okay, you you asked me a question. Well, I was going to just freestyle a little bit on, you know, we talk about the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. But we just came off an election where we had every Republican, you know, every Republican that they could find, they ran against a Democrat every contest was contested yeah and it was kind of funny quite actually you know frankly because there, there's no at least the Democratic Party has a system we can disagree on whether it's a good system, <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 fair enough but they have a system Republicans don't have a system no. I mean they're just like you're conservative you run you run do you want to do it you do it okay oh you're new to town nobody knows anything about you you do it okay? yeah and just raise your hand you want to run <laughs> cool and uh, so we saw them run and we saw them do the same talking points of how bad the Democrats are. And we saw them, for the most part, get rejected pretty soundly. What uh, What's your take on the Republican infrastructure here? And is it... Boy, they. I mean, I know that we have more Democrats, but I mean, there has to be a better way to run Republican politics in this town.
1: There, there almost certainly is. I, I, it is... Uh... Hey, I know I know a lot of Republicans locally. I'm friends with a lot of Republicans. Um, I have some some dear friends. In fact, the the guy who finally convinced me to to have my name read in public is a Republican. So oh really? you can thank a Republican <laughs> for me sitting here. But um, I look, they have to be serious yeah. because what's happening right now is not serious. And I'm gonna I'm gonna lean in and I'm gonna give them some advice. We're okay. good. Stop running kids. <laughs> every time I look up, I, I, I look at a mailer and there's someone on... There was a kid in this last one who literally looked about 16 years old. And I had to, to to genuinely research whether or not this person could legally run. You know, like, I know they have, like, child mayors every once in a while. I thought we were going to have a child county school board or whatever it's called. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And,
0: uh yeah, that was... No one was beating Peter McDougal.
1: And, and it's not... But sometimes you have to run sacrificial lambs. Dems yeah. did it for years and years and years in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Right? But they're all serious people. There was no... They they didn't get like, a, you know, Joe Dixon, your neighbor's teenage skateboarding <laughs> son in a hoodie, to run for Congress. Yeah, And that's... That's not exactly what it feels Assembly. like because they're Republicans, so they do have them put on, uh, you know, a sport coat and a white shirt. Yeah. But you, you gotta, you gotta find, you gotta find if you're gonna think long term, you gotta find better sacrificial lambs, and you have to find people who reflect the views of the community. I mean, good lord, some of the stuff that people are saying. you look. If only 35 percent of the people are Republicans. The messaging is for like 10% of people. The Mm -hmm. other 15% or 25% are like holding their nose and going, good God. So just take it, just be more serious. Think long term. Be strategic. Go knock on
0: doors. Yeah, yeah. I think Republicans traditionally hand checks out in this area. They say, here you go. Of course. Go run. Uh, But... Well, money is needed. What's also needed is
1: connection that's, with people. That's the thing. Money,
0: uh, money isn't needed. Well, if you're Vicky Ben Yakov, it's not needed.
1: But for most candidates,
0: it's needed. Virginia raised money, so don't act yes. like money. No, 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 no. no. Yes, yes.
1: Right. But Alejandra like functionally raised like okay. fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. So when you have
0: a really true, strong candidate who is ingrained in the community that they're trying to get elected by. Yes. That definitely is a big equalizer. Yes.
1: But those people exist. And there are, I'm sure, Republicans like that in this community. But instead, it's just, okay, for Congress, it's like, who's going to raise us the most money so we can pay whomever? I don't, you know, but it's... It has to be more serious. It feels like a lot of Republicans who are running are, like, selling. They're, they're selling themselves. They're selling a business thing. They're, se- they're selling something else other than ideas. Yeah.
0: Well, we, we definitely need, I think, some, some balance on our boards, even if it's one. <laughs> Just one. Because it creates for a better discussion and better, better discourse. And so if they were to figure out a way to run a candidate who's going to do more than just criticize, you know, Virginia Alvarez, she's a Democrat. But I never heard her blast Laura Capps or Jackie Reed no. or, or Wendy Sims Moten no. as being the problem with literacy rates in Santa Barbara Unified. Yeah. I'd heard her talk about her ideas. And uh, Santa Barbara's very educated. Uh, we we want to hear people and what they want to bring. We don't necessarily want you to trash somebody. They'll trash people in private, but in public, they want it to be a higher level discourse. Yeah.
1: Aside aside from uh, aside from the golden boy, which is which is what I'll call DOS because he's like Tom Brady, like just what should happen to anybody else just doesn't happen to him. <laughs> but because you know he had a pack which thrashed Laura's mom, which was. Probably not a great look, but right. didn't make any difference in the end. But, you know, for the most part, we don't really engage in in negative politics in Santa Barbara. No. And when there is pearl clutching about negative politics, it's usually the most inane mm-hmm. things. Right. And so, you know, I I, I do you know I, I do commend everybody who's involved locally. Um, for, for trying to keep the discourse pretty, pretty positive. You know, I, 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 Elrod and, and Brian in the last campaign threw, threw some mud, but, you know, that's by Santa Barbara standards, man. <laughs> I, you know, we get, go to Texas and see the, the mud they're throwing at each other, and, and <laughs> this is nothing. Right.
0: So uh, you want to ask me something? You want to turn the tables? You yeah. want to be a journalist? Who yeah, <laughs> so,
1: so let me ask you a question. So, okay, so I've gone, I've gone through all my time doing this, and I, and I keep asking, how can we make the country better? How can we make the community better? And I personally, I've come up with two things that we can do. One is better civics education. Mm-hmm. And the other one is local journalism. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious how, you know, this is, now I'm sticking you on the spot, but I want to know what, what do you think it is that we can do to make local journalism something that's either accessed by more people or read by more people? What, what do you think? Because I'm sure you got ideas.
0: Yeah, well, the number one thing is you, uh, people have to pay journalists more money in this town.
1: Wow, <laughs> what a lot of Be- Because <laughs>
0: Because what happens is... That, by the way, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, because what happens is that occasionally you get lucky, okay, but... Uh, um, we have kind of a mishmash of journalists in this town. And uh, the ones who are here are good. Okay. They're here. They're making a difference. We have, just like everything in Santa Barbara, you have a higher level of journalists than you would have for this level of town. But uh, people grew up in a generation where they don't want to pay for news. Yeah. Okay. So they just expect it to happen. When you don't pay journalists well, older guys like me or like mid career type people, um, they go into PR, they, they just, or they drift off and then you, we lose sure. that skill set. Younger people like Delaney, um, eventually they burn out and they maybe do something else or they love it and they decide they're just going to work forever, you know, in that sort of condition. Most, I want to lo- I want a log roll for Delaney for a second. Oh, say, okay, go. Most, most, um, and I will log roll more, than you do, <laughs> so. but what happens is you got a lot of turnovers. Like people who are yeah, right out of college, yeah, yeah, yeah. they churn, and then they go, and then they do something else. So you have people who don't gain the experience. You have the people who do have the experience who just give up. And then, particularly in Santa Barbara, you've got Fractured, okay? Independent does a great job. NewsHawk does a great job. But they're, they're working separately, right? They're, they're doing things that are – they do their own things really well, and there's not collaboration, obviously, because they see themselves as competitors. I don't know that, you know, anyone out there walking around is like, I'm Team Indy, I'm Team News. Oh, yeah, yeah, no.
1: I think everybody reads everything. Well, I can... So, I can tell you, actually. I mean, so look, I place a lot of advertising on on both sites. Yeah. And so, I see, you know, I see the click-throughs and I see the uniques. And I I, I honestly, I think that you'd be... You wouldn't be surprised. But I think a lot of listeners would be surprised that... There's actually, they're not the only one reading Ed Hat and NewsHawk and The Independent yeah. on a daily, every other day basis. Because most of us who care about that stuff, we read all of Do you think it would make a difference? Do you think the news press being not what it is today would would make a big difference? I'm sorry, the news press? So let's say let's say Wade and Josh bought the news press. Oh, okay.
0: Uh, a news press of, of old... Returning. Yeah. 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 So the thing is that, you know, the media's changed. So we've seen all across the country newspapers dying. There's a variety of reasons for that. Most of that is the internet, Craigslist, killing classified advertising, the auto market, uh, the housing market, tanking, these things that held newspapers up on the weekends. Remember, you know, you grow it yep. up and you see like, oh my God, it's Sunday paper. There's there time of still the Time still is from time to time. Yeah, you know, um, so so that that is different. And then we don't have as much innovation in newspapers totally. as we should. Like I mean I'm starting this podcast. So here I am, forty seven years old, and I started this podcast and I've figured it out on my own because I'm super like creative. I've been a risk taker my entire life. And also the idea is we need multiple sort of ways to interact with people. You need the podcast. Mm-hmm. You need a little bit of video. You need the newsprint. Um, you need uh, short interview quotes embedded into your website. Uh, you need all of these different platforms and ways to affect people. You need a nice app. Uh, you need a whole new business model because traditional advertising is, does, isn't does is enough. Um, so... There is a way, the problem is, here's the biggest problem, business people don't know anything about journalism and journalists don't know anything about business. So inevitably what happens is there comes this time where there's this clash and the business people are like, why aren't we getting more of this journalists? And then they're like, they get involved and they like try to change the journalism and like don't change the journalism because the content is what's good. The journalists, right, they will sometimes embark on their own, and they don't haven't read a business, wrote a business plan, they don't really know what to do. So it's finding that sweet spot of talent, energy, ambition, curiosity, a willingness to say it's been done that way, but doesn't always have to be done that way, with financial backing, with people who are gonna say legitimately. We're going to get out of your way and let you guys do the journalism and we're going to invest in this in a way where we can reach the most amount of people as possible. So yeah, a new model where you have people who really care, it, it could work. And
1: in fact, it's, we're dying for it. We're right <laughs> no, for we, it. <laughs> we totally are. And yeah. it, it, it's, it's something that I have seen and I've felt again, just knocking on doors and talking to people. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't think people really appreciate how lucky we are in some respects because we have people like Jerry Roberts and Melinda Burns who, I mean, this is, they're doing essentially pro bono journalism. Yeah. Um, and I know Jerry writes most the columns, but he does take the time and the energy to interview people and double check things and confirm. And, he, you know, he, he has journalistic ethics. He's done this his, his entire life. But I don't think that people truly appreciate that without without that kind of little balance of having them to do some investigative journalism here locally, that we would have absolutely none. Because, you know, honestly, what when you do, what Delaney's doing, you know, Gene, Bob, I could go through the myriad of people. This is, you know, you're news news people, and you're out there every day, you're talking to people, but there's so many things in this county that need a deeper dive and they they won't get that sunshine they won't get that airing just because of, of of where we are and I think it's I think it's tragic I think it's truly tragic so yeah I mean you need uh, you know, there's a couple different models but
0: you know Mission and State was around in 2012 oh, 13, 14 I'm familiar. and uh, you know I worked there for a little while mm-hmm. um, at the very end but that sort of narrative investigative long-form journalism there's a market for that there is and uh we obviously don't have enough i mean you look at me i don't mean i don't want to talk about myself too much but but you know a part-time teacher i work at news talk i'm doing this on my own yeah um and if you work at a newspaper you got to feed the beast yeah if 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 uh, somebody wants to say i'm going to take uh two months or longer to do a deep dive on this story and it's going to publish in a quarter <sighs> okay yeah right well, who's going to do all the rest of your work yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. so that's that mindset of, of that you need a little bit of people who can do the busy work of the day-to-day and then some people who can dive in and do the long-form investigative pieces and that's why people get into journalism anyway is like they want to change the world they don't want to necessarily do it to write about the car crashes they do it because they want to change the world so there is a mix and a model uh mission and state the way that tanked a lot of people were soured in terms of investing but if there were uh, if there was an effort by people who were willing to to invest in that i mean it would definitely take off because um, we have the talent you know i mean you're going to log roll for for Delaney, you know, like I used to work at the Mercury News. I mean, I have multiple investigative journalism awards. You don't see them like day to day because I also have two kids and I'm doing the whole thing. But I'm I, right now, I'm capable. Like you set me loose, yeah, yeah, bam. Delaney's on the other end of the spectrum. She's younger, and um, you know, she's like dying to to do that kind of work. Oh, yeah. She's capable of it, and. Um, you know, there, there's a, there's there's a lot of us in that town. Melinda's done it over and over. Yep. Jerry is a San Francisco Chronicle former editor. Yeah, this dude like is phenomenal. Like he's got a Harvard degree. He for some reason he doesn't understand sports, but he uh, he's, he's this top of the line of a journalist you're ever going to encounter. Um, I mean, he's he's right up there with like Bob Woodward. It's just that he's not there. He's here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we could talk forever about journalism because, you know, I love it. And, uh, you know, it's just like with, with my podcast here, I, I haven't had anyone tell me no. Yeah. Everyone's like, yes, because I know you, Josh. And uh, let's do it. And so you have like this mix of like new, I don't want to say old, but experienced uh, people who are just like, please, let, you know, and we love it so much. We're doing it. Like, like you said, Melinda's doing it for free. Jerry's doing it for free. We're, we're, the rest of us are doing it for almost free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 totally. totally.
1: I mean, I mean uh, you know, the, I, I see how hard you work. I see how hard Delaney works. I mean, and for those people who don't know, Delaney is very young and works exceedingly hard. And you read her coverage of especially, particularly educational issues. And it literally, she could be, it could be in the LA Times. I mean, she does an incredible job. So I mean we are in, in some respects we're really lucky And in other respects I, There is There remains that kind of news desert Which uh, it's so unfortunate And, and I, I hope I really hope that we can get For our community That we can get to a place where We as a, If not just the community here But as a country Realize the value Of journalism Because you know when I started off in politics, I was I was like most people, very skeptical of journal, What are they? The, they're trying to get us. They're out to get us. You, you know, yeah. it, it was very adversarial. And being here, maybe it's because I I, I know, talked to to you all more, but I, I mean, I have the utmost respect for how hard um, everybody works. And what you're trying to do, because r- regardless of, of whether or not I agree with your coverage all the time, it needs to be done. Someone needs to tell the story because otherwise, no one, you know, democracy needs this information. It is so important. There's a reason why freedom of the press is in the friggin' Bill of Rights. Yeah. It's that important. So I mean, I, I yeah, I I appreciate you guys doing that, and and it's been. It's been an interesting change in, in my perspective. As I told you before, you know, as you, you guys, 50% of the time you write, write something nice about one of my clients, 50% of the time you'll write something bad about one of my clients, it
0: comes down to wash. Well, and the thing is, too, like, you look at Tuesday night, you know, and there's Delaney and I covering the school board. Yep. We're not doing it because we're running for office. Like, I was wondering, where's Elrond? They're not calling in. Where's Brian Campbell? They don't care anymore about literacy, like it's the journalists who are there year round, every day, writing about this. Yes, stuff. and and think about if we didn't have that, it would be you know an awful situation. We got a, just a couple more minutes. Okay, uh, let me just uh, ask you a couple of questions, a couple of names. Um, Megan Harmon, uh, what's your take on her as sort of a political writing, rising star in this community? I think
1: I think. Um, I think Megan is, is a rising star here locally. I think Alejandra's a rising star. I've, she just got an award for being a rising star. So, yeah. by God, it's on a plaque. Um, you know, Megan is... what I I immediately could tell when I met Megan. She's got a twinkle in her eye. She's got the most raw political talent of of anybody locally, I, I in my opinion. I don't know, what do I know? But um, And... You know, I think that uh, she is probably kind of hyper-political. But she's still new. You know, but she would all hundreds has been doing this for less than a year. Yeah. And Megan's been doing this for like a year and a half. (laughs) Right. So, you know, we, we tend to look at these people and judge them as if, you know, they've been at this for a decade. And there's sometimes when... It feels like they've been at it for a decade. Um, certainly, with Megan, she's she's very skilled. Yeah. Um, but you know, we forget that it's a year and a half in. But I, I definitely, I mean, I, I, I have. Um, she could she could be someone with a strong strong future in politics.
0: And you mentioned Doss Williams earlier, the golden boy. The golden boy. Um, What's what's your take? You have not worked with him. No. I don't know how well you know him, but what what is your take on him and his political potential? Do you think he'll settle in here as a supervisor for the rest of his life or will he try to get back in the legislature?
1: If you were advising him, what would you tell him? Oh, uh, from afar. Because I was in Sacramento at the same time he was in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Uh, Seems like a guy who who Really dug the Sacramento thing, yeah. and really liked being in being in Sac. I would. I mean, if if he if, if he wants to go back, I have no doubt he could probably win that Senate seat at some point.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've heard. You know, obviously, you and I probably hear more rumors about things than than other people. But you know, I, he's got his his. You know priorities now, but at some point I, I would expect him to to get back to sack.
0: What's your take on the Santa Barbara mayor's race next year? Obviously, as we just talked about, Democratic Party is going to get mine, probably Kathy. We'll see about that. Well, I don't know, but what's how's that shaping from your perspective?
1: I think it's going to be an interesting race. I don't I don't know how many people are going to end up running. I I think that you know fingers crossed. <laughs> We learned some, some lessons last time, and, and not every single person who's ever held a local political office needs to run for mayor at the same time. Um, I expect that, that there's going to be a you know three, m- maximum my guess is four people in the race. But I suspect there'll probably be two to three people in the race. Mm-hmm. But um, Kathy's going to have a challenge, and mm-hmm. I would expect it to be a very stiff challenge.
0: Okay. Last question. Will Wade Cooper be involved? in the Santa Barbara mayoral race next year. You don't have to tell me who, what, when, where, but will you be involved with a candidate? 100%. All right. So with that, we'll uh, end this very enlightening podcast. I appreciate your time, Wade. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you on and off the record. And yes. Finally, the, my accomplishment of November.
1: <laughs> Getting Ready me on a podcast? On the podcast, I on the record. It. Thanks, everybody, and uh, if you're out on your bike tonight, do wear white.